Thanks, Amy. If you have your Bible, you can open it to uh, 2 Samuel. Uh, she just read from chapter 12. We're going to kind of start in chapter 11 and kind of work our way from there uh, into chapter 12. Um, before we get there, let's, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together and uh, study your word. Father, I pray now that you would guide our thoughts, Father, and you would guide my words. Um, I pray you'd free us from distraction, God. I pray that you would bind, uh, bind Satan this morning and the evil that we might encounter you, God. Lord, I pray you would convict our hearts. Um, I pray that you convict the hearts of those in this room as you've convicted my heart this week. Um, again, just guide us, Father, and that we thank you for uh, how you've persevered Scripture, your spoken word to our lives these thousands and thousands of years so that we can have your character revealed to our hearts, God. I pray that we would dig deep into who we are and, and deep into our souls. We thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. So, Second Samuel chapter 11, we are in the midst of a series called uh, When Obedience is Hard. Lovely slide back there. Um, and we're going to talk and center today around David, and for me, uh, this is a, a, a difficult series because it's a very slippery slope, and we're talking about obedience, um, and I, I want to be very, very careful, just like last week. I want to guard against legalism as we talk about obedience. Um, I want to be very clear. Obedience is not a prerequisite for your acceptance from God. You already have it. Obedience is not a prerequisite for your obedience from God. The gospel, Scripture teaches us that we are accepted as we are, who we are, and it's that acceptance that births our obedience. Tim Keller has said, uh, we, don't, we aren't accepted because of our obedience. We obey because of our acceptance. And that's where I want us to, to land mostly today. And, and I'm going to, uh, it's going to get kind of, kind of dirty today, kind of intense. Uh, I, I really, really hope to, to anger you this morning, uh, to, to mess with some sin that's in your heart, to mess with some, uh, maybe just some areas of your, of your life that you're even hiding from yourself, uh, and, and get to the core of this obedience thing, and understand that my, my digging around there, God has been digging around in me this week, and the point of digging around there is not for some acceptance, but it's this beautiful, abiding, communing relationship that we were designed to live in. I said it before I preached last week. I say it again this week. I want to hold this big, giant banner above us. When I'm talking about obedience, it's got nothing to do with acceptance. and got everything to do with the path that leads us to our purpose. The purpose that you were created for is to live in a deep, communing, abiding relationship with a perfect and holy God. And obedience is the path to get there. So be, be very clear that we were created for that. And I also want to say that, that disobedience is a block to that relationship. When we disobey, we block ourselves from this deep, abiding, communing relationship that we were created to live in. We chase after, after glittery things in this world because we think that's going to give us purpose. But ultimately, the only thing that's going to give us our purpose and our, our, our true 
contentment. And I want to define contentment. I'm going to use that word a lot today. Contentment isn't just, when we think of contentment, we think of, you know, maybe a, a warm bed and just, but contentment that I'm talking about is this, it's, it's not just that sort of contentment, but it's, it's this extreme joy and peace that comes together to provide us with contentment. And, and it's this contentment that disobedience is an enemy of. Let that sit on your brain. Disobedience is an enemy to our contentment. Uh, so here then, let's look at the life of David and, and see what, what he was about and the things that he did and the, the lessons that we can learn from his life about removing that block of disobedience to our contentment. So the first thing, I, w- I want to bring four points in front of us this morning. The first one is, obedience is hard after disobedience. There's a cycle that begins to happen. And each one of, I'm going to lay out five different elements of David's disobedience, and each one of them is because of the one that happened before. So number two is relying upon number one. Number three is relying upon number two and number one. Without each one of them, removing one of them and the cycle of disobedience is blocked, is gone, doesn't happen anymore. So obedience is hard after disobedience. And as we walk through David's story, we'll try and make some application for us in our lives. First, sin number one. In verse one of chapter 11, David stays home instead of being in battle. It says in the spring of the year, reading from, from chapter 11, 2 Samuel, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, one of his servants, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, and David remained at Jerusalem. David's job as the king, as the warrior, is to go. He stays. Sin number one. He shrinks from what he was supposed to do. We can use words like laziness. We can use words like self-centered. We can use words like not fulfilling your mission, not fulfilling your purpose. These are the things. And, and at, at, the, at the kind of just the beginning of, of what we're getting ready to talk about here, and we all know the, the story. David winds up sleeping with Bathsheba, and he winds up murdering Bathsheba's wife and all those things, all those awful things that happen. But it begins here with David being very self-centered. I just don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like living out the purpose of my life today. I don't feel like doing that. And so begins the cycle of disobedience. David is shrinking from what he is called to do, from who he is called to be. So as, as we try to, to apply this story, David's story of disobedience to our lives Think deeply here. We open the door to temptation and to disobedience when we shrink from our calling. And this is where I, I, I want to look at you guys in the eye and, and start messing with you a little bit. The cycle of disobedience in your life begins when you start trying to please yourself and you start shrinking from your own calling. Probably most of us in here have some at least vague notion of what God is calling us to do here in this moment, in these days, and. In the fall of 2010, God has placed somebody into your life to connect with. God has directed your heart to a, to a community. God is, maybe you're a, a teacher or may, maybe you're, you're new at a school or whatever. God, I think you probably, every one of us, if we spend a little bit of time, 
have a vague notion of what it is that God is calling us to be, at least a vague notion, and maybe even a, a tangible, very specific notion of what we're supposed to do. When we shrink from that mission, we open the door to disobedience. We open the door to this great cycle of disobedience that leaves David in a really, really awful position, and we'll get to that in just a bit. Failure to follow mission, calling, and purpose opens temptation and starts the sin disobedience cycle. Number two, what happens in David's life? David lusts for a woman that's not his wife and is the wife of another. Strike two and three. Verse two here. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch while he was in the midst of shrinking from his purpose. If David had been on the battlefield where he was supposed to be, he would not have been in his couch to rise and go to his roof. He was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Somebody says, this, she's married, back off, stay away. We're going we're gonna to see in just a second when Nathan comes into the picture that we need to have people around our lives that will poke into our lives. This servant here is not somebody that had permission to speak into David's life. If he had had someone who had given permission to speak into his life here, he would have said, yeah, that's Bathsheba. She's married. Back off. Slow down. We have opportunities all over us to build relationships to let people speak into our lives like this. David, in this particular person, doesn't have that. So David has shrunk from his calling, and now he's trying to provide pleasure for himself outside of God's context And he doesn't have around him people to speak truth into his life. And I hope that for us, one of the the action points for us to to work on as we walk through is to have people, give people specific permission. Look people in the eye. Vince, I give you permission to speak hard truth into my life. I give you permission to say, hey, that's somebody else's wife. You need to back off. You need to stop. You need to back up. I hope that that's an action point for us to work from as we walk through here. And, and watch how this is a cycle. Sin two is a result of sin one. And now sin three, David brings her in and he sleeps with her. Verses four and five. So David sent messengers and took her. Any one of those messengers could have said, stop it. But they didn't. David had not given permission to these people. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David's got a big mess on his hands. It's all the result of David shrinking from his mission. Sin number one. And then the sin number two is that he lusted. He didn't have people to connect with his heart and, and to, to speak hard truth into him. And then sin number three, he just goes and, and he gets this, this woman pregnant. The cycle of sin. You see how each one of these sins, each one of these moments of disobedience is reliant upon the one before Sin number four, David tries to trick her husband to cover his sin. Basically, oh man, I'm in deep trouble. I, she's pregnant, and her husband is at war. Everybody's going to know something happened. And, okay, here's my idea. I'm going to bring Uriah, her husband, back from war, and I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a couple of weeks off. Just go be with your family. So he brings Uriah back from war, and he says, he says that to him. And Uriah's like, you know what? I've got friends who are risking their lives on the battlefield and on the front lines. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sleep out in the yard. I'm not even going to do it. And so David's like, man, that, 
That stunk, because his plan was he's going to go home, he's going to be been at war for a while, first thing he's going to do is go sleep with his wife, and then it's going to look like it's his baby. Perfect. But Uriah doesn't bite, and so now David's like, what do I do? Well, David concocts another plan to trick him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him to the front lines where he's sure to die. Go where all the, the, the fiercest fighting are where he's going to die, and that's exactly what happens. David sends him to die. He tries to trick her husband, to, trick her husband and then sin number five, David sends him to die in verse 15. It says, in the letter he wrote, he sent Uriah with a, with a note, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw him back, draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So this guy who is called in scripture a man after God's own heart has just done five increasingly bad disobedient things. He has shrunk from his mission. He has <clears throat> lusted after a woman. He has slept with this woman. He has tricked her husband, and now he has essentially killed her husband. And I, I want to back out of the story and now start picking on us again. We get mired in this sort of cycle all the time. There are people in this room that are here in the midst of a sin cycle, a disobedience cycle right now. There are people here in this room that are in the midst of a, of a disobedience cycle that don't even realize they're in the midst of a disobedience cycle. David, lying in his room, shrinking from his mission, had no idea what was coming. He had no idea that this woman who lived across the way from him, her husband would wind up dead and she would wind up pregnant. He had no idea that was going to happen. Some of us here are in the midst of a... The, the genesis, the beginning of a sin cycle, of a disobedience cycle. And it takes us to, to, to snap out of it. We have to have people willing to, to speak into our lives. And it's a cycle of disobedience that is winning and is going to dictate current and future actions. Do you see? I want to say that again. Disobedience, cycles of disobedience dictate our current and our future actions. Without the previous disobedience, Uriah never comes home. Without the previous disobedience of David, Uriah never goes to the front line. Without the previous disobedience, David never sleeps with Bathsheba. Without David not putting people around him, protection around himself, David would have never lusted upon her. David would have been sent to battle. But as it is, David had no idea he was in the midst of disobedience. And if he would have known what was going to happen at the end, he would have never done what he did in the first place. And for us, we are dumb, self-centered, self-focused people. And that's why we need people around us all the time to be speaking truth into our lives. I want to say one thing before we move into the, the second point. The call to obedience is born out of a perfect and complete acceptance that leads to perfect contentment and enjoyment of life to its fullest capacity. I say that because this whole, we can get marred and, and, and bogged down with this understanding of obedience versus disobedience and forget the purpose of obedience. The purpose of obedience is not acceptance. The purpose of obedience is to bring us to a place where we enjoy this extreme contentment, this beautiful joy, this deep abiding communing relationship. And the call to obedience is born there, not in our opportunity to, to obey or to, to, be, to get accepted. Flip over to the, the next chapter, 2 Samuel, verse, verse 12. Um, 
The next thing, God speaks, the second point, God speaks to break the cycle of disobedience. God uses the prophet Nathan. And I want to I be clear, a lot of times when, when we're in a religious context or, or any context and we hear the word prophet, we think somebody's going to tell the future. When we're talking about Nathan, this Hebrew word, the, the Old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for prophet just means spokesman. So Nathan is a spokesman for God. Nathan is God's mouthpiece for David in a very influential time in a life of the, the nation of Israel, in other words, the church. So David is a, or Nathan is a prophet, and God uses Nathan to come and speak to break the cycle of obedience. The cycle of obedience continues until God intervenes and, and speaks into your life to break that cycle. God, for us, uses several means today to speak direction into us. First, he uses pastors. And I don't just mean myself. God does will you. If you come and be a part and connect with the church, God is going to use me, God is going to use Dave to speak truth into your life. To break cycles of disobedience into your life. Not for the purpose of, of getting you into line, but for the purpose of, of your own joy, to pursue your own joy, your own contentment. God is going to speak truth in your life through pastors and not just through us. We live in an age where we can listen to anybody, anywhere, anytime. iTunes is filled with great podcasts of great teachers of truth. Uh, find one you like. Listen to them consistently. Listen to them all the time. Listen to John Piper. Listen to Matt Chandler. Listen to Mark Driscoll. Listen to those guys and allow them to, to speak truth into your heart. And God will use a pastor to speak hard truth into your life. And the second and probably more important one is Scripture. God uses, I want to say, I, I said it in my, my prayer, and, and every time I pray before a sermon, I, I say something like, God, thank you for persevering your Scripture to us so that you can, we can have your character revealed to us. God intended for this, these words to, to be revealed into your life for one purpose, to reveal his character and his plan, his redemption story for your life to you. And this is the spoken word of God, and we need to be treating this scripture with this, this ultimate love and, and ultimate understanding of, of exactly what it is. We have, if you don't have a Bible, if you have a Bible and you don't have an ESV version, we have them in the back. Please take that home with you and allow God to speak into your life to break cycles of disobedience through his holy word. God uses scripture to speak into our lives. And then third, and the, the last thing, just for, there's many things that God uses to to speak direction into us, to break cycles of disobedience. But we're just looking at three this morning. The third one is God-given community. Uh, God has placed people in your life, parents, brothers and sisters, friends, the people that you go to church with, the people that you grew up with, to speak hard truth into your life. Look at the two different people that were in, Nathan's, or that were in David's life. First was the guy, he said, who is that? And the guy said, oh, that's Bathsheba. She's Uriah's wife. That guy did not realize and understand his role in a community in David's life. He could have said, stop, but he didn't. Nathan was God's chosen vessel to come and speak truth into his life. And he said, David, you are sinning. You are doing wrong. Stop. Don't do that anymore. So 
God speaks to break the cycle of disobedience. The second thing that he does is we, that we need to do is to break free from our self-centeredness. Break free from our self-centeredness. If Nathan had come to him directly and confronted him and said, look, you are wrong, you're messed up, you're in the midst of a cycle of disobedience. Instead, what Nathan did was come and told him some story about uh, there's this poor guy who's got one lamb and there's this rich guy who's got a bunch of lambs and a visitor comes and the rich guy says, I'm not going to kill one of my lambs, I'm going to go steal his and take his and kill it so I can feed my, my friend the traveler. And David's like, that's horrible. Wow, how could somebody do that? And Nathan says, you're that guy. You are that man. Uh, so God showed David the despicable thing about himself through a, a parable. And many times for us, we need somebody to come and speak in a parable. And here we are examining the life of David, which can be our parable, for God to use to speak into our lives to break a cycle of disobedience that we're currently mired in. That if we knew the end result of this cycle of disobedience, we would probably stop right now. But ultimately, here is us looking at 2 Samuel 11 and 12, watching David be told a parable about his wretched sin so that he'll, so that, wait a second, that is me. I need to back up. And here we are in 2010 reading about David, hearing about a parable breaking the cycle of disobedience. And I hope that we can see a bit of ourselves in this. And I hope that we can see this deep need for us to break free from our self-centeredness. But the point that we can draw out here is that it's really easy for us to find flaw in each other and very difficult for us to find, find flaw in ourselves. There have been, I, I'm in the, in the church business in a denominational standpoint and in a specific church standpoint. I've been involved working in churches for a lot of years and there's politics that's everywhere. And I've, I've, I've said something like this in, in more than one meeting. I wish that we could all spend more time looking at our own sin and less time looking and pointing out everybody else's sin. I wish that we were more willing to have sin pointed out in our lives than we were willing to point sin out in other people's lives. And the church global, the church regional, and the church specific has to understand that. If we don't, we will fail and we will not be all that we can be, all that we, we are called to be in this place, in this region, if we shrink from this. We have to come to a place where we are willing to look at our own sin. We have to come to a place where we are willing to allow people to look at our own sin and be willing to, to take it out of our lives, take our disobedience away from us. We have to always be looking at our sin and spend more time dealing with our sin than we do pointing out sin in other people. So, do you have gospel-centered community in your life? Do you have people who will speak hard truth, God-given community in your life? If you don't, get it. One of the things that I love about the size of our church is it's really, really hard to be anonymous. However, we have visitors coming in and out and coming in and out. There's visitors here today. You have an opportunity to be anonymous. You have an opportunity to, to say, eh, 
and go to your, about your day and, and go have lunch this afternoon. But your joy is at stake. Your contentment is at stake. Your purpose is at stake. If, if I were a little younger, I'd jump up and down and scream and yell because this is really, really important. Your joy is at stake. Your contentment is at stake. This is not a joke. This is not something... A, you didn't come to, to a feel-good service this morning. Your joy is at stake. Your, your purpose, the, the reason God birthed you into existence on this planet is to bring you into a perfect con- communing, abiding relationship with him that will bring with it joy that you can't even imagine. That is at stake. And if we walk around this planet looking at other people saying, look at that, look at that, look how terrible they are, look at that disobedience, look at all that, and spend no time looking at ourselves and spend no time saying, Vince, I give you opportunity to speak hard truth into my life. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I have disobedience. Tell me I'm in the midst of a cycle of disobedience. If we don't do that, we sacrifice our joy, sacrifice our purpose, sacrifice our contentment. If you don't have it, get it. We walk around this earth chasing after glittery things that won't give it to us, and as a result, we wind up mired. We wind up, as C.S. Lewis says, playing with mud pies in a slum because we have no idea what's offered by a holiday at sea. We have no idea the beauty of this perfect relationship with God that he offers us. And so we're content to sit in the mud pies in the slums and be dirty and nasty and gross among dirty, nasty, gross people. But God is calling us. God has given us opportunities. God has given us relationships to speak into our lives. And most of what we do here at this church is designed to foster that relationship. Standing... But before we, we, we started today, you guys probably remember, like, most of you were out there. And Jeff and I are like, we're going to have to get them up there somehow. To the front half of the room. Because relationships are being fostered here. That's the purpose of, of why we gather. We had Band of Brothers breakfast yesterday. I'm yelling, aren't I? I just realized that. Uh, slow down a second. Yesterday, we had Band of Brothers breakfast. We ate bacon and sausage and eggs and biscuits. It was awesome. And we talked about life. We talked about the stuff we were carrying around, the burdens we were carrying, just the men of the church gathering to to share life with each other. The purpose of that is to foster this sort of relationship. The women meet the first Thursday of every month, and, and they have dinner, and they have great fellowship and great company. Last week, they went and spent the night in an Arnold Chick-fil-A parking lot so they can have free chicken. They think it was about free chicken. I know it was about an opportunity to foster relationships because, yeah, Chick-fil-A's great. Yeah, it, Eric thinks it has crack cocaine in it because it's addicting to all of us, but it's, that's it's not true. Uh, it's great, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, what the, the purpose of the stuff that we do here is about fostering relationships because the ultimate satisfaction is not sitting down and eating free Chick-fil-A, although that's really good. The, the ultimate thing is this deep, abiding, communing relationship with Christ that our disobedience is a block to. So if you don't have these sort of things, get it. If you, if you don't belong to a church, go find one. There's a lot of guests here, but this is, 
here's a place for you to, to, to gain those sort of relationships. Connect with us. We'd love to. But if you don't, connect somewhere and be somewhere where these sort of relationships can foster. The third thing, there are consequences to disobedience. In verse 10, Nathan, a spokesman of God, says to David, the sword shall never depart from your house. Do you know this? David was always at war during his entire reign as king. Always at war during his entire reign of king. And that's a result of this cycle of disobedience. God spoke to Nathan, and Nathan spoke to David and said, the sword will never depart from you. You will always be at war. We live in a nation that's at war. Yesterday, we, we remembered, reflected on that awful day of September 11th. That's what David's life was filled with. David had hundreds of September 11ths. There is a consequence to our disobedience. Nathan also points out in verse 11, he says, evil will rise up out of your house. I want to I say this. David would have a son named Absalom who would later kill his older brother Amnon because he raped their sister. So Absalom rapes, kills Amnon because Amnon raped his sister. Do you see the evil rising up within the family? That's like Jerry Springer wouldn't touch it. One brother rapes his sister, and the other brother kills him because he raped his sister. Absalom would also re- lead a revolt against David to take over the throne later on. So this guy was crazy. Consequences of sin. Consequences of disobedience. They are very real and very seldom fully understood. The consequences of our sin. David had Nathan to come and say, the sword's never going to depart from you. Evil is going to rise up out of your house. And that all these things are going to be awful and difficult in your life. And, and the son, by the way, the, the son that David conceived in Bathsheba with that, that first act of disobedience, that son died as a result of this disobedience. Another consequence to sin. We miss depth of relationship because we're, we don't get to have a Nathan speaking specifically into our lives. You are wrong here in this instant, and here's what's going to happen because of, you, because of that in your life. We miss that, so we don't fully understand. We don't get to understand the depth of what our disobedience does to us. But here we say we miss the depth of relationship because, and we don't know what we're missing because we're far too easily pleased by the things that glitter and distract us. Um, when I was a little boy, whenever we would be, be driving, my brother and I would be in the back seat and driving down the highway, especially around uh, the, the Valley of Flowers time. You guys know what Valley of Flowers is? It's a big carnival in Florissant that happens every year. Whenever we'd be driving down, down Lindbergh near the Valley of Flowers at that time, the Valley of Flowers carnival was over here. My brother and I in the back seat. My mom would always say, look, guys, there's a horse. Look, look, there's a horse over there. And so we would, like, be looking in, like, some neighborhood for a horse. I was, like, six. Give me a break. So we're looking over there, and we don't see what's over here. And that was my mom's intent, was to distract us with looking for a horse so that we wouldn't beg, Mom, take us to the carnival. Mom, take us to the carnival. Because at that point, 
my, my parents could barely afford to, to feed us and give us a house, so we didn't, they didn't want to have to tell us no. So what my mom's decision was to distract us from what we thought we wanted. And here, on this planet, the things that glitter distract us from what we really want. And that is the heart of, of what's happening. The last thing I want to bring to us, response to consequences. Flip over real quick. We're going to go real quick through Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David writing his response to all these consequences. He has very real, tangible consequences like a child who's about to die and a a new wife, Bathsheba, who's about to bear a son that's going to die. He's got very real, tangible consequences. And he also has the things that Nathan just told him, that evil's going to rise up out of his house and uh, the sword is never going to depart from the nation for your, so he's got these, a tangible thing, and he's got a, a yet-to-come thing of these consequences. And here's David's response to consequences. We have these opportunities for us when we have a cycle of disobedience we're in the midst of. Verses 1 and 2, he is made aware of his sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Man, that, that phrase, steadfast love, I, I God attacked my heart with that two years ago, and I can't get past this steadfast love. Steadfast love is something that love that, that never changes despite of who we are and what we do, and love that doesn't need to change to bring us perfect joy and perfect contentment. That is steadfast love. And David is fully aware of who he is. Change me according to that unchanging love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And that word iniquity is this sin right now. And cleanse me from my sin. Then in verse 5, he's aware of who he is as a sinner. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. I don't, you and I don't have to decide to be disobedient. We don't have to decide to be filled with sin. And then in verse 12, skip over to verse 12. He is aware of the benefits of repentance. And restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Again, breaking cycles of disobedience is not the end. The end is beautiful, abiding, communing relationship with God. And David understands the result of repentance. He understands the result of this. And then verse 13, you become aware of your mission. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and I will, and sinners will return to you. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David's cycle of disobedience started from him shrinking from his mission, his purpose. Now David sees his purpose and his mission is the end. A, a, a restating of his mission is the end of this. Do you see the, the beauty, the redeeming beauty of God? The cycle of disobedience started with him shrinking from his obedience or shrinking from his mission. And the end result, David's response to the consequences of his sin are David realizing his mission and his purpose. Nothing ever falls through the cracks with God. God never doesn't use our suffering. God never doesn't use our, our disobedience. He uses it all. Romans, or Genesis 50, 20. 
teaches us that what Satan intended for evil, God ultimately uses for good. Do you see how beautiful God is? He uses your disobedience for good. Wow. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is, is left. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity for us to come and gather and be impacted by your scripture, be impacted by your gospel. Father, I pray now in these moments as we get a chance to respond to you that you would convict our hearts and guide us as we respond. God, give us yourself. Give us glimpses of this perfect, beautiful, abiding relationship. We thank you for Jesus who makes this possible. It's in his name. Amen.